0: All right. Hello, thank you, and welcome to the talk by Dr. John Duyard on Love, Sex, and Yoga. And tonight he'll be talking about how we can heal old wounds and retrain neural pathways so that we can open up more to love and live more fully in our lives, and not just romantic relationships, but everything. And I'd like to just go over a few points for you on how to best listen to this call so if you want to type in questions for Dr. John to read, you can do that by just going to lifefa.com. That's the homepage of our website, and the first article that you'll see on the homepage says, webinar, love, sex, and yoga. Just click on that, and that's the viewing page to watch the video live, and you'll also see a gray box there, and you can type in your questions, and the only people who will see the questions are Dr. John and staff, so you don't need to worry about anyone else on the call seeing them. And if you're watching from our YouTube page, please don't type any questions there in the comments since no one's monitoring that. And if you wanna ask questions verbally, you can do that by calling um, our special line and that's, the number is 425-440-5100 and the pin number is 124-337-POUND. And then you'll have an opportunity to ask Dr. John a question verbally And um, he has no preference, he answers the typed questions and the verbal questions equally, so whatever you prefer. And if he does call on you, if you've raised your hand verbally, we'll tell you how to do that. Um, You just hit star 2 on your phone, then he'll call on you by the last name and the state that your phone is listed under, so it may not be your name or where you're currently located, so just make a mental note of that. And the recording will be available tomorrow. So if you aren't able to finish watching it or you want to send it over to a friend, you can let them see the recording. And the next teleseminar is on Monday, July 14th, and it's on meditation. And you can sign up um, on our website under lifespa.com, and there's an education tab there. And then you can just click the link, Live Teleseminars, under the events column. So we're very happy to have you here with us. And in just a moment, Dr. John will be joining the call.
1: Welcome to our call on sex, love, and yoga. Interesting combination of uh, three very powerful words. Um, I think the, the most powerful of them all is, is love. And I want to start talking about um, about this by having us get a really good understanding of love from the Vedic perspective, from the Ayurvedic perspective. Um, Love is probably the uh, the first impulse in creation. Um, a quick summary review of how Ayurvedic medicine looks at creation. You have this field of absolute pure consciousness and uh, sometimes called Purush or sometimes called Rishi, this all-knowing, all-conscious field. This field became... Uh, aware of itself through this very subtle impulse of love. And it began observing itself. And in the process of observing itself, it realized that that it was engaging in a process of knowing itself. So this first impulse of loving itself created a process of loving itself itself and creating something different. This, the, this pure field of consciousness was now different because it was actually loving itself. So the, 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 the Rishi, it's called the knower, engaged in the process of now knowing itself. So this now, this self is different because it's now known. So it's something different. So this very subtle field sort of got a look at itself and because it was looking at itself, it was different than itself just being itself, doing nothing, if that makes sense, it's kind of crazy. But that first subtle impulse is how Vedic science describes creation. And that created one layer... And then that that Rishi value created a process of knowing itself. That's called chandas, kind of a, a kafic kind of a material expression. Something different. It's more than just pure consciousness now. It's being observed. So it's, it's been engaged in the process of observing itself. And that leads us to this this material the beginning of the material expression the beginning of ego the ahamkar the beginning of us beginning to say well i'm different than the field of consciousness because one one knower engaging in the process of knowing itself and this happening again and again and again C- creates a more dense, slowly but surely more dense material expression of this knower knowing itself. hope that makes sense. And anyway, this creates density and the ego all of a sudden becomes separate from this field of consciousness. That is actually called pragya pra, the mistake of the intellect where we begin to think of ourselves as separate from that pure field, that pure field of love. That creates That ego, then the journey of Ayurveda is for the ego to find itself in the pure state of consciousness. So the journey of love is for us to somehow find this way in our body, a way to to experience pure consciousness, true love, in this physical body. And sex is one of the mechanisms for that to happen. Yoga is another mechanism for that to happen. So so we're using Ayurvedic principles to help dissolve the ego's separation from this, this underlying pure state of consciousness and trying to get us to reconnect to the truth of us, uh, the Ayurveda of us. The next manifestation is these mental doshas, the sattva, Raja and Thomas. This is where we begin this discussion. Really, the the nature of us is saastic. This is a Vedic principle. The nature of us is to be loving and joyful and kind for no reason. The nature of us is to be giving, and to be kind, and to be gentle, and even powerful. I love the analogy, maybe my favorite analogy of all is like the sun. The sun, uh, it just gives its light, its warmth, its love, it can't not do it. If you're killing its cattle or chopping its trees down, it can't stop shining. It can't kind of say, well, you guys really don't deserve any sunlight, so we're just going to give you a little darkness for a while, and you'll figure it out. If the sun actually decided not to shine its light, the the sun would probably implode. And that stress that we endure by holding back our love, we now know how that works. We know that that stress plows through your gut. It takes out your good microbes. We know that 95% of your serotonin is in your gut. We know that the microbes make those neurotransmitters. And if you have a lot of stress, then those neurotransmitters simply will not be made. So we know that when you are holding back your love, that creates the stress. And I think every one of us knows that, that um, it's this crazy mind of ours that is, causes most of our problems. We know that it impacts our gut, takes out our immunity, our microbiology, and pretty much all of our physical complaints from the Ayurvedic perspective can be be drawn back to this crazy mind of ours. And we're beginning to just now understand the science behind that. Those bugs that go south when you're under stress, they directly control and regulate your mood, your behavior, your mental function, your cognitive function, whether you're going to be an artist, a lawyer, or a mathematician, is determined by your microbes, and those microbes are determined by the stress that you endured as a young child. So the goal of Ayurveda is to experience love and put it into all of your cells. It's one way of looking at it. The sun, is, nature is to do that. I believe our nature is to do the same thing. It's to shine bright. So our goal is to ask ourselves, why are we not shining bright? The mind says, well, I got hurt feelings, and they didn't like my backpack when I was a young kid, and they, and, and they, they didn't like the color shorts I was wearing, so I employed my mind at a young age to create a rajastic personality, a using my mind to stimulate me with my senses to make me happy other than just being deeply content within myself. That Rishi pure consciousness value was completely content. It just happened to observe itself and by observing itself it created this observed part of itself which is a little bit more dense than it was when it was just pure consciousness. And that continues to happen to this day as we layer more manifestations and more density on this physical body. The journey is to bring the sattva, the experience of pure consciousness, back into the body we're going to talk about that in more detail in a second but what happens is when we become when we go from being a very static young baby to realizing i have senses and there's ice cream and there's stimulation and all these things i become attracted and distracted by my senses and i become engaged in a rajasic behavior our culture is extremely rajasic stimulation and and uh um you know who money, power, fame, you know, buying things. Our whole culture is about things we can buy and have and that'll somehow, of course, not make us happy. When we overstimulate ourselves, we become tamasic. We become dull. And that tamasic behavior is the blocker. It blocks us from experiencing our true self. So the journey of yoga is to relieve the blocks, to create more physiological calm and less physiological density so the body can become more self aware. And sex is a tool to experience that, but we have a little problem. Sex has been glued to this experience of love that we're talking about. And in Ayurvedic medicine, um, there are uh, many channels that, there are many channels that can um, carry this energy of of love. The many channels, and they're they're called Nadi systems. And these Nadi's are um, subtle energy channels that carry subtle energy. And there are six of them that carry this energy that we call love. This kundalini shakti, this very high spiritual energy, this subtle impulse of creation is actually carried in your body. Now, how it works is that yoga as a a physical technique to help get the body into a relaxation state while it is dynamically active. It experiences what's called the coexistence of opposites. The body is dynamically moving into this particular posture, but at the same time is composed and calm. It's the union of the mind and the body, the union of dynamic activity and composure and calm at the same time. It's the hurricane effect. The bigger the eye, the bigger the calm, the more powerful the wind. Yoga provides that experience of union, um, that experience of union, um, on uh, in our bodies. Now when yoga when yoga is experienced in this coexistence of opposites, it creates a level of calm. That calm allows the prana, the life force, the, to actually move through the body. When the prana begins to move through the density of the body, it begins to activate these very subtle channels in your body called nadis. Now, these nadis are so subtle that that they don't even actually exist if you don't have the prana moving through them. This is the science of subtle energy in Ayurveda. So the prana helps bang away at the physical body. and Maybe you've experienced this after a yoga class where your body feels like it's vibrating and you feel this energy moving through your body. This is prana banging away at the density of the physical body. And when it actually begins to um, move and move through the density, it activates these very subtle pathways called nadis. It's like a lightning bolt. The lightning itself, the electricity, is the prana, and the pathway that the lightning takes is the nadis system. So if there's no prana, no electricity, there's no lightning bolt, there's no nadis, there's no nadis system. So what's interesting is that if you don't move your prana your life force you don't really activate these subtle nadis now there's 72,000 of these nadis in the body six of which carry the kundalini energy this love energy we're talking about so so doing yoga is a very important way for us to for a very important way for us to help gain access to the 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 manifestation of this nadi system these nadis concentrate in the body in the chakra system and in the chakras when they begin to move they enhance a level of spiritual progress or spiritual growth or a spiritual experience. Now, there are six of these nadis. Um, Most of them travel from the base of the spine and they move up to the top of the head. This is the journey that I was talking about. This kundalini energy, this energy of pure love it resides in the base of our spine. And around 17 or 18 years old, most of us have a spiritual um, kind of rising where we begin to have an spiritual, a spiritual awakening. And at that point in time, the body will choose, the spiritual energy will choose one of six channels to move through to get to the top of the head and merge with the absolute. Remember, the journey is to get the experience of love into every cell of the body and then merge with its its uh, creator, which is this pure consciousness. This is sort of the journey of Ayurvedic philosophy. And the density of our body is all the chakras, which hold on to emotion, the muscles, which hold on to emotion, our crazy mind, which holds on to stressful patterns of behavior and belief systems, our digestive system, which, hold, which creates microbes, which create and, and store and process emotions in ways. So it's extremely dense. So this is the, the journey that we choose one of these six nadis. Now, each of these nadis are all a little bit different. They paint a unique and different picture of your emotional and spiritual process. If you have one of the more direct nadis that go right from the base of your chakra to the top of your head and merge with the absolute, you're enlightened in about an hour or two. It might take a year or two to recover. And that is one of the nadis called uh, Chachini Nadi which is written uh, and written in some of our articles, and that's a very direct rising and an extremely rare rising. One of the reasons why I wrote my book Perfect Health for Kids was to help parents keep their children in balance, understanding their body type, understanding their needs, their strengths, their talents, their weakness, direct them into a life of balance as opposed to imbalance and, and, and emotional need and therefore, when they are 17 or 18 years old, and the kundalini, this love energy, begins to release out of the base chakra in your spine, it chooses a naughty that's more direct, that gives you a more, an easier life and a, and a more productive spiritual pathway. If you have a life that has been rough and more traumatic, then it becomes more difficult to enter into one of these risings that are called direct risings. And as a result, we choose a different uh, pathway that's maybe not as comfortable and that can give you more emotional upheaval and make it a rougher rise. So the more balanced the childhood, the easier it is for them to enter into one of these risings that are more direct and therefore more um, supporting a healthier and a more balanced and a more peaceful and emotionally stable life. So that's why I wrote the book Perfect Health for Kids because I wanted moms and dads to realize that what you do with your children, how you raise them and how they feel loved and secure is really critically important, right? Another uh, one of those risings is called Brahma Nadi. Nadi goes, again, very direct Nadi that goes to, to the top of the head and can give you spiritual awakening very, very quickly. Uh, Brahma Nadi is one of those Nadi that actually carries charas right across the top of the nose and in fact... In India, when women wear a nose ring, they're actually using those nose rings to actually capture the brahmanadi because the brahmanadi is one of the most, you know, revered nadis and one that you'd love to be in because it gives you a very high and wonderful spiritual experience. There are other nadis, um, like uh, when you're um, called shashumna, which goes through every chakra. So this is sort of the working horse nadi system where... Most people travel through that, that's why the chakras are sort of a famous thing. People go from one chakra and then they purify that, then they go to the next chakra, and they purify that, and they go to the next chakra, and they purify all the chakras until their body is less dense and that love is experienced in every cell of your body and then it can merge with the absolute. That's sort of the spiritual journey. There's another Nadi, um, Called Vajranadi, which is actually doesn't start at the base of the spine. It starts at the sex chakra, the second chakra, and it doesn't go to the top of the head like the other nadis do. Shashuna, uh, Brahma, Nadi, Nadi—they all go right to the top of the head. They're direct, but Vajranadi doesn't go to the top of the head. It goes to brain centers that are in um, that are you know in the side of your head in the cortex and they don't actually deliver that complete spiritual experience. So what happens though, at the same time around 17 or 18 years old, maybe even earlier now, people have sexual development and they start wanting to have a sexual experience. Now, if you have a sexual experience at a very young age, or if you have a sexual experience right away with someone that you meet, the risk is, which is unfortunately extremely common, the the, the risk is that you activate the the Vajranadi, which goes from the second chakra to not the top of the head and doesn't give you complete contentment and spiritual experience and leaves you wanting more, always wanting more. And that's how the experience of love and sex can be glued together. They're sort of glued together in our culture. And the way reason why old, you know, Dads and priests and clergymen and people, uh, you know, would historically say that always have sex after marriage and premarital sex is sort of a bad thing. Well, from the Vedic perspective, it, 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 it's not about good or bad. It's about understanding the subtle energy. When you have a lot of sex early on in life, then, then that's the nadi that you choose for your spiritual rising. So all of a sudden, your sexual pathway is how you experience love. And that makes you sometimes addicted to love or definitely addicted to a spiritual experience where you just want more and more of that physical sensation because you've glued those together. So if you have done that in, the, in your life where you have a lot of sex early on and you're sort of addicted to that energy of sex and you don't understand the relationship between sex and love and the difference, because when you go from the base chakra to the top of the your head, you're experiencing love. When you go from the vajranati pathway, you're experiencing love and sex together. And we are always... And, we, and when you... When you get to the, when you rise on that nadi and you kind of wake up and you look out the window, you realize that you're on the top of this really wonderful mountain that has a lot of sex and it's really wonderful. But there's another mountain way higher that I'm nowhere near. And the interesting thing is, the only way to actually get to that top mountain where people are completely content within themselves without needing sex to have that happen, you have to go all the way back down, re-establish. In the Muladhara chakra, the base chakra, and then re-enter into one of the more direct risings. And how do you do that? Well, you do that with you do that with um, yoga and breathing and meditation. We'll talk more about how that works in just a minute. But that's how you do it: is you have to go that all the way back down and re-enter. So, if you have kids, really good idea to help bring them up in a balanced way, make them feel safe and secure and loved, so they feel content. Now, humans are hardwired for approval. We all want approval. We want the approval of mom and dad. If we didn't care that mom and dad loved us, we would wander into the jungle as a baby, get eaten by a lion, and there'd be no people here. So clearly we want their approval. Now. In Lion Kingdom, the animals grow it to a certain age and mom says, okay, I'm going north and you can go south and I'll see you in the next life. It's over. I'm not going to watch over you any longer. They're forced to not get the approval from mom and dad anymore. Humans replace mom and dad with stuff, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, money, power, fame, sex, um, shopping, different things. We just replace that. And that's sort of the, the, the journey. I call it the game of life that we have to begin to play is to realize that that we have created a, a, a nervous system that has become rajastic or tamasic where it's stimulated by things outside of ourselves. And love is one of those energies that is completely yours and it's something that completely fills you up without needing anything. I always say that we have to learn how to be love and not need love. But most of us have relationships where I need them to love me. I love you because that I hope that you love me back, and then whew, I feel safe that I didn't get hurt. And if I love you too much, then my mind says, ooh. I'm a little out there on a limb, and what if she doesn't love me back, so I feel like I better pull back a little bit and not love, okay? And now I'm pulling back and I'm not loving you fully, so therefore I'm not doing what I do to get content, which is to be loved. I'm doing what I do to not get content, which is to hope that you love me back. And now my mind says I'm dependent on her loving me to make me feel good and wonderful and secure, and if she doesn't love me, then I don't feel secure. But if I pull back, she probably feels the fact that I pulled back, so therefore she feels like he probably doesn't love me, so therefore, what happens? She pulls back, and I feel her pulling back, so now I'm thinking she doesn't love me, so I pull back. And now I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble here because I'm not getting loved by her, and I don't know how to do it, so I think, you know what? Maybe if we just had sex, that would solve our problems because when I jumped into the relationship right away, I had, we had sex right away, and that was really good. And we had this whole loving thing that was a lot of sex, and and we had love, and it was glued to sex, but it was great. So the relationship sort of becomes defined by sex, and when. You reach that point where the sex isn't really doing it and you slip into that place where you have to experience true love and love because it's your nature to love, it gets scary because you're afraid the other person might not love you back, so therefore you hold back. And it starts this separation where we begin to wait for them to actually give us what I think I need. I'm still wanting mommy to approve of me. And I'm still running that same childlike program, but it's time at some point for us to give ourselves fully to the relationship. You know, many of us have relationships with husbands and spouses and partners and things, and some of them have gone on for many, many years, and how many of you can say that you give yourself fully to that relationship? Lots of folks say, well, you know, if I just love him fully, well, he would just want to have sex. (laughs) And, you know, that's one of the questions that I got here is, why do men just only want to have sex? Well, I think part of it is that they're sort of genetically wired to procreate and they're sort of the aggressors in that, you know, historically, or at least from a a genetic perspective. So they are the aggressors in that. So it's very easy for men to hook sex and love together and never really know the difference. Matter of fact, lifetimes can go by and men never learn that lesson. And it's really sad because true love escapes the radar of most people on this planet. We keep waiting for the other person to love me fully, and and um, I had a, a, a patient of mine come to me, and we were having this discussion, and and she said that um, it was really interesting because she um, had many experiences with men in her life that were you know not great. They were men just turned into like sex, and then it didn't really work out. And she said. Um, that she went to this uh, cuddling party. Uh, it was like cuddleparty.com or something like that, and and they have someone who's, who who um, who governs and, and and watches over and like a proctor for this. Uh, this cuddle party and people are allowed to, you know, and these are strangers and they pick a partner and they just lie down next to each other and they rub each other's feet or their shoulders or their head or and they just give massages or just cuddle. But there's no sex allowed and no sexual energy allowed. It's just touch and feel. And that's what this group is. And they're actually quite common. There's a handful of organizations that that actually provide uh, cuddle parties. Meetup.com does it on a regular basis. Cuddleparty.com does it. And she said that it was really interesting because she had this experience where she found a guy who was also not into the whole sex thing because it always ruins everything. And found a guy who was just into just letting this energy of love be expressed through touch Without actually having sex, and this relationship built up and built up until they had this really beautiful relationship that was really quite nice. Another patient of mine said that she once got into a relationship and and um, uh, and you know could have sort of jumped in the sack right away and and uh, were together for a while, but it didn't really work out and the relationship was sort of. Uh, uh, never really quite right and then they broke up and they were apart for a handful of years and then um, they finally came back together but this time in the relationship they didn't have sex they didn't have sex for over six months and they developed this really beautiful relationship and, and turned into a marriage which lasted many 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 years still, still together in fact So the point being here, there's two points here. One is that when you're a young child, 17, 18 years old, your kundalini spiritual love energy is going to choose one of these six nadis. Not all of them are the most wonderful, so how you are raised is important. Number two... You want to choose a naughty that is appropriate that period of time, and and you're also developing sexual energy. So you don't want to just jump on that train because that might be the train that you glue yourself to, and now sex and love are glued together. And if you do that, you'll never ever well, not never ever, but you run the risk of never ever experiencing true love in this life. Now, many of us have already been, you know, 17 or 18, and we're already in one of those natural spiritual risings and. And, um, and how do we kind of redirect them to make that happen? Well, one way, like I said this this client of mine, she had a great experience by just turning off the sexual energy and allowing them to experience true love. Allowing them to experience the, the energy of true love. And there are absolutely chemicals that, that back this up. There's just no doubt about it. There's chemicals called oxytocin, which we call the love bonding, giving, caring, philanthropic hormone. It's produced when you give, when you love, when you touch. We know for a fact that when you actually touch another person or cuddle with them, you're producing this chemical called oxytocin, which is called the bonding hormone, the loving, giving hormone. It's produced when a mom gives birth, and it surges in the mom and in the dad and in the baby, and it bonds them for life. They're bonded to take care of each other for life. It's a chemical bond. When they did a study with, uh, from the Journal of Neuroscience, and they did a study, they had a group of men have nasal injections of oxytocin, and then they had a group of uh, uh or a beautiful woman walk into this room and one group of these men were married and the other group of the men were not married or single and when the when the beautiful woman came into the men who had oxytocin who were single they were very excited about the idea of this beautiful woman flirting with them and maybe they have a relationship brewing or something when the men Saw who are married, who had the oxytocin injection through the nose, saw the beautiful woman. Those men were clearly uncomfortable with this flirting because the oxytocin reinforced the bond. It reinforced that bond of of love, that bond of true love. And so, and when you hug or cuddle with your wife, now, men, you know, here's the problem: a lot of men. You know, if, if women tell me a lot, they go, if I was really nice or I gave myself fully to my husband and I loved him, he would want to have sex right away, and I don't want to do that. I just want to cuddle. I just want to touch. I want to be close. And I'm going, well, the thing is, if you don't give yourself fully to him and act on your love, which is the truth of you in this relationship, you've got a 35-year-old marriage, which is a platform of love and trust and safety and security, but you're not acting on it because you're afraid if you do, he'll want to jump on the sack. So, but what if you gave yourself fully to him and he felt loved by you? Now, he might initially think that's like the signal to jump in the sack, but if you hold back your love, I guarantee you he's gonna think that you don't love him and he's gonna go back to his old protective patterns of behavior and whatever protection patterns those were, some of which are go back to my instinctual survival instinct which was love and sex are glued together and I'm just gonna wanna have sex. And I want to have it as quickly as we can because she might change her mind. So, so here's the problem. Many relationships think, well, I don't want to put that energy out there because he'll misinterpret that and now we're going to be having sex, which isn't really... I just want to be close. But if you don't do it, you run the risk of him actually retreating back into his protective patterns. One, wanting sex instead of love. And number two, he may... You know, retreat back into patterns of behavior that he created as a young child to feel safe and secure. Some people become control freaks, fixers, pleasers, class clowns. Some of us, if you're trampled a lot like a rose, over time you start growing some thorns. You know, the rose said, you know, if you grow some thorns here, they'll stop trampling us and life will be a lot better. And maybe they won't even notice the thorns. Well, a lot of us have been trampled in our lives and we've grown some thorns as part of our personality. And if you throw a dart at someone or don't love them or they don't feel loved, they're going to project on the screen their protective pattern which might be some thorns. So if you're a, a, a woman and you have a husband you don't want to love because you're afraid of the repercussions if you don't love You're going to get two things. A man who just goes back to his survival instinct of give me sex because that's what love and sex are glued together and no one's told me different. And I might end up seeing the thorns, the part of his personality that's protective, not the one that I married. The one that I married was feeling safe at that time to show the delicate, powerful, vulnerable petals of his flower and let the truth of him out. So if you want to experience the truth of it, you've got to give yourself fully to that relationship and take a risk. And you can have some ground rules around that, but just know that holding back and not acting on it is a recipe for disaster and the relationship will begin to separate. Okay, so now, what happens if you are in a relationship and it's sort of derailed? Well, definitely... He creates some strategies like maybe go to a cuddle meeting or do it yourself and just rub each other and touch each other and hug each other and feel. Random acts of kindness increase oxytocin. Sex is dopamine. It's the I gotta have it right now hormone. And that's how most of us live our lives. Most people in on this planet, at least in the West, are addicted to a chemical called dopamine. Whether it be through a cup of coffee, through through buying stuff or shopping or having things or having sex, it's a dopamine materialistic culture that we live in. We have to realize how and where we're addicted to that chemical. And how you break that addiction is by giving yourself fully. Now, Yoga and breathing and meditation are also tools to support oxytocin. They, and oxytocin is a chemical that the more that you make, the more that you make. In other words, you never run out. The more you stimulate oxytocin, the more the body makes of it. Dopamine, the more you stimulate it with a cup of coffee, you need a double shot or a triple shot. The more you stimulate it with sex, the more you need sex every day. The more you stimulate it with buying a pair of shoes, the more shoes you need. It never is satisfied, and the amp that you have to use to stimulate yourself keeps ratcheting up until the point where you're, you, can't man, you can't manifest it any longer. So oxytocin is one that can deliver and continue to deliver for you for the rest of your life. So, and having a relationship uh, maybe a marriage you've had for 20-30 years but never really acting on the love. It's like come on guys we can do this and if you get yourself fully the other person will feel safe in that sunlight and feel willing to open the delicate petals of their flower or let the truth of them out and now you have the beginning of what we call true love which is a magical experience and it allows you to begin to experience um, a relationship that isn't based on sex. You can break that addiction. And you can restructure the relationship by hugging, by, by giving, by caring, by sending a text, by random acts of kindness throughout the day, holding, touching. These are the ways to produce the sustainable hormone oxytocin. Now, if you are in a rising that is sort of what we call indirect, another rising is called the Saraswati rising, which goes up to the up the outside of the Shishunna major channel of all the nadis. And like the Vajranadi, it doesn't go to the top of the head, the Bindu, where it experiences you know, union with the Absolute. It goes to the, some higher brain centers and gives you lots of thrills and sometimes lots of power and different things like that that aren't that wonderful and can make life a lot rougher. So how do you get yourself to re-enter into one of these nadis, short of cuddling with your partner, spouse, wife, or whatever? you can do yoga but yoga has to be done for this it has to be done extremely slowly yoga postures that are held for 1 to 2 to 3 to 4 to 5 minutes originally yoga was a uh, yoga was a, a meditation each posture was a meditation, and the longer the whole, the more the time the subtle energy would have to redirect the subtle energy in a very specific way up to a very specific rising to help reenter a more appropriate rising that worked a whole lot better. So the idea is that we want to, we want to do yoga slow, restorative yoga, to allow the prana to begin to move through the density of the physical body, and it takes time for that to happen. And then it can activate the nadi system, the pranic end, that's now moving through the slow yoga. And then I can activate the nadis and the nadis can concentrate in the chakras and in this whole process redirect your subtle energy from an indirect rising that's maybe not so wonderful to the base of 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 the spine, the muladhara chakra, and then back through an appropriate rising that can get you back on a track. And that can happen through, with a relationship, with a partner, you can both kind of re-enter uh, naughty systems that are more appropriate by not having that sexual energy drive you into a rising that gives you temporary satisfaction. When you do yoga for a long period of time, too, the muscles begin to relax. You know, the muscles are like little spindles, and they have, uh, and when they, when you're when you're really tight, they lay down protective scar tissue. And many of us are tight, and we, the muscles get tight and and, and they, they lose blood supply, and when they lose blood supply, they become sort of rigid. And as a result of uh, the muscles becoming sort of rigid, they lay down protective scar tissue because the scar tissue doesn't use blood, and when your muscles get tight, you lose blood supply to the deep part of the muscle, so it lays down a protective scar tissue. It's sort of like if you don't water your grass, you get crab grass. It's tough grass, it's green, it sort of works, but it's not like the nice, mm-hmm. soft grass. So when you do a yoga posture for a longer period of time, the belly, the muscle begins, where the blood is, begins to release. And the fibrous tissue, the scar tissue can begin to dissolve. And the blood can begin to penetrate. And the prana can begin to move. And the nadis can begin to activate, and then drive the spiritual process of contentment from a different place than just having stimulating activities like shopping or coffee or stimulants or you know base jumping off of Mount Everest or or having sex. But these are all the dopamine activators that we that we tend to look for or long for. So, um, in summary, the idea is that we can begin to create use our relationships as opportunities for us to act based on the delicateness of ourselves as opposed to the need to get loved by them. Many of us are just engaged in relationships where I just act to get them to do what I want them to do. And if they don't do it, I either reject them or I feel hurt. We're doing them. Or many of us have a life that's engaged in behaviors that are trying to get other people to like us. We're still doing the mom-like-me, approve-of-me thing. And this is the game of life. We have to step up to the plate and say, you know what, time to do me. I love my wife, and I'm going to act on it. Now I know there's a whole bunch of stuff that if she would do different, I would love her a whole lot more. But you have to look at... The truth is that I love her and I appreciate her, and if you act on that truth, then all of a sudden you'll get content by acting on that and you won't need the love. So that's one way, random acts of kindness, to begin to activate new naughty pathways. Cuddling, touching, giving, loving, caring, holding, another way of doing it, and slow yoga. Followed by... by Uh, a breathing technique, pranayama, or breathing technique. So the pranayama breathing technique drives the prana into the body. So the slow yoga softens the density of the body, softens the muscles. The longer the hold, the more blood, the more prana can begin to move. The breathing, the pranayama, pumps the prana through the density of the physical body, activates the nadi system, and the meditation allows you to experience the subtle experience of your own love, moving through your body into yourself step by step. So that's why yoga, breathing, and meditation has been around for so long, is because it actually works on the subtle body system to free you from the need, free you from the need to be loved, free you from the need to have stimulating activities and be content within yourself, and I call that the, the eye of the hurricane. The bigger the calm, the more powerful the wind. The sun sits still, deeply content. It never gets anything in return. It's completely content in giving, and look what it has created. So uh, I think pretty interesting information, so please hopefully use that to understand that maybe these old guys weren't that far off the mark by saying that you know maybe um, uh, there's something to... This whole idea of, you know, not letting us engage into premarital sex. I have had this relationship. We have six kids, and I've had this lecture with all my kids, teaching them the idea that this energy is powerful, and if you abuse it early on, it can take over your life. And we know pornography has taken over the lives of many and it's very, very powerful. And it's very important, I think, for young people to understand the power of this energy and not to just glue sex and love together and to try to understand the difference between the two for a content life and relationships that will last. Many of us, we just jump ship and they all just try a new relationship or a new one and oftentimes miss a whole lifetime of experience without true love. And it's just, uh, it's not. Uh, It's not good for us. Okay, so I'm going to read a few questions here. Let me put my glasses on so I can see them here. Um, I'm having trouble with low libido after childbirth. It's been four years, although I'm sleeping better, not as stressed, eating well. I haven't gotten back in the swing of things. Relationships with my husband is great and intimate. And he's been sensitive and supportive. I try to get back into it. What else can I try? Just order shatavari. How long should I take it before I notice relief? Shatavari is a great herb. Who's a woman with 100 husbands, right? So that's a lot of husbands. Or they say one really good one. Um, shatavari is a great herb from this perspective because uh, it's a reproductive tonic. It's an ogis builder. Um, and ashwagandha is the other ojas builder. We have a tonic called ojas nightly tonic. And when you, here's the other thing that we didn't talk about, is when you have a lot of sex, you deplete your ogis. And I've written about this, that there's a 30-day digestive pathway process that takes place in the body. It doesn't just digest overnight. There's 30 days to make this very subtle energy called ogis, which is this spiritual energy, this consciousness that fills yourself and gives you contentment. And without that, you really can't have contentment. You, you, you without that, you're going to be longing for sex or stimulation in other ways, looking for love in sort of all the wrong places. So when you actually have a lot of sex, you deplete that ogis, because this reproductive fluid is the, is the step right before the production of ogis, and if you deplete that a lot and a lot and a lot, you run out of ogis, and therefore run out of uh, this, this consciousness and therefore, that's the oxytocin driver, that one that gives you the energy, the ability to love and cuddle, although otherwise we're locked into that need love thing. So lots of steps can deplete your OGIS. Having a baby, you know, who sort of took all your OGIS, uh, which is wonderful, can leave the mom a little bit depleted as well. And she needs to build that back with OGIS builders like Shatavri and Ashwagandha and the OGIS Nightly Tonic, which is, which is a, a Shatavri and Ashwagandha along with OGIS building foods like uh, dates and ghee and honey and almonds and coconut and saffron. And you chop them all up and mix them all up and put them in some really good warm milk, almond milk, coconut milk, and you can drink that as a powerful Oh, just tonic, and I've written about that on my website. That article, uh, that recipe is there as well. So that's one, one thing that I would do is use these herbs to rebuild your nervous system. Also, after childbirth, the digestive fire goes out. So looking for, you know, read up on some of my articles about how to reboot digestion, possibly a little bit of uh, warm digestive fire. The fire would be helpful as well. What do you recommend for women dealing with infertility? with infertility, I'm about to start an egg freezing program due to diminished ovarian reserve. Do you have any recommendations? Well, definitely the shatavari and ashwagandha are great herbs to start with, but the thing that I, that I have found, and I, for some reason, I have had a, a little bit of a following over the years with women with infertility, and, and the only thing I really say and speak to in this regard is it's all about convincing the body the war's over. The body's not gonna wanna have sex and have a baby for that matter if there's a bear chasing you. So if you're going 90 miles an hour, ballistic, doing all these kinds of things and you wanna have a baby, you might not have the greatest success because your nervous system is responding to life as a full-blown hour week corporate emergency and there's a bear chasing me and it's just the wrong time for me to be thinking about having a baby and the body won't. But to stop and nest and rebuild and prepare, the body creates Uh, and rejuvenate those reserves, you have a better shot at supporting uh, the ability to um, have uh, a baby or get pregnant. And I've seen when people take the stress out of their system, they meditate, they do the things we talk about, like in our 28-day Ayurvedic challenge, learn how to live an Ayurvedic lifestyle, then women just get pregnant, I've seen it happen again and again and again. It's phenomenal. Chitabra and ashwagandha, great herbs for that. Uh, it, It helped us a ton as well. Uh, with our six kids because we had some problems. My wife had some problems getting pregnant I think because maybe she had so many and she she needed uh, some some rejuvenation along the way to make it happen and Ashwagandha and Chitaubri uh, were able to deliver that for her. Um, If you want to ask some questions via the phone, I can hear your voice. That would be great. You can press star 2 for that and we'll check you out on the phone here. Uh, what is the story of brahmacharya or celibacy? Can this be done without strain and is it a good thing? Um, you know, these are interesting questions. I think that being a brahmacharya is like a celibate, a monk. And if there's two lives there's monk life and there's householder life. There's no question that the spiritual growth of being a householder is more profound and more direct than being a, a monk believe it or not, and that's pretty much understood throughout India, that a householder is a much more challenging way. And many of the very high historic spiritual masters in India were actually householders, not celibates. So you don't have to be a celibate to have a spiritual life. That's not true in India by any means. It's sort of a, a dogma that has been let out. Now, excessive sexual energy can deplete your Ojas, it can activate the Vajranati, it can glue sex and love together. I mean, not such great things can happen. It can addict you to sex and addict you to other types of activities that stimulate you as opposed to letting the truth of you out. And that's our journey, right? Is to begin to become aware of what is it in our life that's keeping me from feeling safe enough to let the truth of me out and let it out. What's holding me back from loving my mom, my dad, my family, my, my wife, my husband, my spouse, or even my kids? Why am I holding back? Look at that and, and evaluate that. And then realize that there's no really good reason for me to not love fully. And as a result, um, I don't do it. But if you understand that you're holding back for no good reason and you start to test the water of true love... You begin to feel a level of contentment that you've never had before. It's a little risky because the mind says, Well, what if they love you back? You're gonna be in big trouble. That's the old child look program, like, what if I love my mom and they don't they don't I don't get that approval, I have to keep ratcheting up my 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 performance to get them to love me. And that's scary for the mind, particularly if they're a lifetime of it not coming. All right, what does Ayurveda espouse regarding whether it's possible to experience true love without involving the opposite sex. Absolutely, true love does not require the opposite sex at all. Love is something that you can give fully to. The, 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 the platform of a marriage provides us with a, a relationship that we feel safe enough and trusting enough to give ourselves fully to so we can experience true love in that relationship and then take it to the world. But there's nobody saying that you can't just take it to the world without having that relationship. It's a crutch, really, to give you a platform that you feel safe to give yourself fully and have this magical experience in life where you have this partner where you deeply trust. But that's not just for you guys. That's for the experience to take out and give it to the world. So you begin to shine your light on the world. Other people feel safe in your sunlight and they feel safe to open their petals and their flower. And the reality is when we begin to do that, other people, our friends, our family, they begin to feel safer in our sunlight because they feel the truth of me. I'm not loving you because I hope you love me back. I'm not being nice to you because I, because you're my mom and I have to be. It's obligatory. I'm being nice to you because I love you and I'm acting on my truth. And in that regard, they feel you. They sense you. They experience you. And if you are acting sort of based on I love you so you love me back, they don't really know you. Because you're not being yourself. You're being a version of yourself that you think they will like, which is not you. It's a reflection of them, not a reflection of you. So who are you? They don't know you. So they don't feel safe. They don't open up the petals of their flowers so they hold back and they project protective patterns that they created in their life back to you. So we don't really know each other. Sort of crazy, right? But if we can begin to experience the truth that I do love this person in these ways and act on it, all of a sudden they feel you. Your mom will feel you loving them. And feel safe in that sunlight to stop nagging, clinging, and controlling you, and let the truth of you out. It's a beautiful science of Ayurvedic psychology that's just beautiful. So I'm going to look and see who's on the phone here, see if I can get a couple of calls. Um, so I have one call. I'm going to unmute from Connecticut, from New Haven. Are you there?
2: I am. Yeah. Good, what's up? Good evening. How, how are you? Uh, mine's I guess a twofold question. One is if you can speak a little bit from a widow standpoint, um, I lost my wife of uh, twenty eight years to cancer, and we had a very very healthy uh, you know intimate relationship and uh, I, I you know I'm trying to get that again obviously uh, because I'm still relatively young and the other point to that is I noticed that when there's an extreme period of absence uh, in the intimacy part that uh, I, I actually desire it less. But when I do connect, and I'm in public right now, so I'm using different words. But when I do connect uh, with uh, my partner, um, it, it seems that I, I, I'm yearning more of a frequency. Although I could have been, you know, for lack of better terms, abstinent for a longer period of time, and I'm talking while I'm in this present relationship, but then when we do connect, I feel like as if I have the cravings to continue doing it on a more frequent basis, which kind of opposes to what you were saying a little bit earlier, where you're losing something by having it on a frequent basis.
1: What I'm I'm saying is, is that you don't lose something by doing it on a frequent basis. You lose something if you do it right away on a frequent basis, and the relationship is based on that experience and hasn't had time to develop true love. And that is why, you know, when you get into a relationship, if you're out there looking to one, maybe spend some time getting to know, be a best friend, be platonic for a while, let it develop and then have sex where you don't have the whole relationship inaugurated on this idea that sex is what we're what we're really after, and that's what I was that's what I was you know trying the point that I was trying to make was and and if you do it excessively, then of course you can deplete your ogis and get sort of run right. down, but but and I think if you find ways to express true love that are not sexual, touching, cuddling, bonding, giving, caring, you find that. Sex is not the, the only way to get satisfied. You get satisfied by writing a note, hey honey, hope you're having a great day, by bringing flowers, by, you know, you, you, you get filled up by the giving, not the having of sex. And you get filled up by just, by doing something else, and then sex becomes a way of expressing something really powerful, not something that I need to rekindle the relationship once a week or three times a week or whatever. Does that make any sense?
2: No, it does, and I've been in a long-term relationship, relatively speaking, with this person, and it you know, wasn't the that we jumped into. Um, but
1: it's hard to say that you have what kind of relationship that you have. But I think people who know that their that they're sort of their their relationship is based on the need for sex, and that's what love is, how love is expressed. That right. that there's some work there. You know, if you have a long-term relationship and sex is part of it, I'm not saying that's bad at all, and I I think that sex can be a wonderful, wonderful vehicle to experience true love. There's no doubt, but it is by no means the only one. And part of this discussion was that our culture sort of has glued those together. And in young people, definitely, like in colleges, I mean, the whole idea of hooking up is just like, you know, it's just like, sure, why not, you know? And and I just think that we're not, we're we're, we're perhaps missing uh, the boat on experiencing something that is really fulfilling. And and anything of of course, that's fulfilling is going to take time. It's going to take time for that to develop.
2: I I agree with you because the youth today, they just make it so nebulous. It's an act of spirituality. It's an act of connectedness. It's an act of uh, harmony with that individual. And if you're lacking the spirituality, you know, the, the connectedness, then therefore you're really just, An animal doing it more out of instinct than out of uh, true love.
1: Well, right, exactly, and I think that there is. We all have that instinct. It's part of our genetics. It's who we are. And I think part of the part of the point here is that there's ways that we can tools yoga, breathing, meditation, cuddling, giving, caring, hugging, um, becoming a friend, bonding, not jumping in the sack right away are all ways to redirect that energy in a way that it isn't, you know, you know, a primitive, you know, survival. Reproductive response—it's something that can be much greater. You know, we all have evolved for uh, you know millions of years, and uh, I think at one point it probably was just procreation. But I think now we've evolved spiritually, emotionally, mentally. But we have to you know understand how to um, to manifest that experience of true love, which might be. Uh, perhaps a, a new part of our evolution and we can actually experience this really deep connection not only with ourselves but with other people who are not even sexual partners but that's the nature of us is to be able to be that sun and give fully. I and mean, Look at the sun. It shines on the moon. It's probably embarrassed by nothing happens there but it keeps shining because that's its nature. It simply can't stop. Hey, thank you for that call and uh, good luck to you. I appreciate it. I'm going to put you on Newton and... and um, and then uh, we are uh, just about out of time here now, folks. And I want to um, thank you all for coming. And and uh, I I am going to just close the call officially now, uh, webinar. But I'm going to stay around because I didn't get to a lot of questions. So I'm going to stay down and answer a couple of questions. So if you'd like, you can listen to those as well. But uh, so for those who have to go, I want to respect your time. You have the ability to uh, you know sign off if you like right now. That'd be great. Um, so. Um, one more, a couple more questions. What happens when a woman believes she is gay? How does sex work here and why? Well, I think you just have to be, you have to do you, you know. I think that uh, if, you're, if you're doing you and, and, re, and you have a relationship that you're giving yourself fully to, all the ducks will settle and the right partner and, you know, the right preference, it will show up for you. But if you are doing, you know, engaging in behaviors that are based on what you think should happen or shouldn't happen, then I think we're in big trouble. So I, I think that the key is to just you know, take the risk to be yourself, to let the very delicate and vulnerable petals of your flower out. And not many of us are willing to do that, but that is a game of life, and it is why we live to the 80s or 90s, so we have time to do it. There isn't a rush to do all this, by the way, I don't think. I think we have a long life because we can evolve and gain wisdom and grow and change, and it's a game of life, so let's play. Let's not get all stressed out about this, but definitely evaluate your relationships. Are they based on true love? Are they based on need? Are they based on sex? Are they based on things that are stimulating me temporarily but I'm not feeling fulfilled on my own, by myself, for myself? So, an old saying in Ayurveda says that first establish being and then perform action. So, first, if you're really establishing being, which is the truth of you, and then engage in activity, you're good to go. If your activity is based on the need of others, or the, the hopefully that the others will like you, love you, appreciate you, care for you. That's the sort of version of manipulation, and, and it's never going to be sustainable. So the idea is yeah, very simply put: taking a Ayurvedic, you know, volumes of Ayurveda or Vedic texts and, and simplifying them down to a couple of words. It's do you, <laughs> and uh, and then go from there. Okay, uh, couple other questions. If I could sum up uh, uh, sum up the Ayurvedic approach to love, sex, and yoga in one word, what would that be? I'd probably say it's oxytocin. You know, It's the chemical we want to produce, and we, we think it's producing it basically as a culture. Um, another one was I want to learn more about Tantra Yoga and how to do more about this. Uh, what book can I read? There is a book that talks about the different nadis pathways that you can take and what they deliver, and that book is written by a woman named Joan Harrigan, and the name of the book is Kundalini uh, Vidya, which is the study of the Kundalini. And uh, so that's hopefully helpful for you. And um, let's see if I can get one more question in here. Um, where, according to Ayurveda, does sex fit into the relationship and how is touch different than sex itself? Does that create dopamine? Um Sex can create oxytocin for sure. In fact, oxytocin brews the desire for sex. Oxytocin. Let me give you some of the some of the research that's done on producing oxytocin. It it uh, extends life in cancer patients. It produces cravings for sweets. It reduces anxiety and depression. It cre- increases potency, sexual potency and desire. It reduces cortisol and boosts immunity. It treats addictions. Decreases. Uh, stress levels. and increases the longevity of married people. So those are just some of the well-documented studies of of oxytocin. So sex can produce it, but if it's produced out out of need and sort of lust, then you miss that boat, and it is dopamine. But if it's produced out of this real desire to give yourself fully to another person, it can experience it can be experienced as oxytocin and be a very powerful spiritual tool. Thus, the whole study of Tantra Yoga and the Kama Sutras are really not about sex. If you read them carefully, they're really about having this energy move through the density of the physical body and merge in union with its absolute true nature, which is our absolute true nature, and have this incredible experience of true love through another partner, which can happen but it also doesn't have to be with a partner. But um, I think the reason why I wanted to have this lecture is because one, we can use yoga in a very slow capacity and breathing and meditation to provide you know some really interesting benefit because everything we do in America is so fast, 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 and this provides you know a, a reason for you to really slow it down, make each pose a, a meditative posture, and allow it to work. It's very subtle, knotty, changing, redirecting magic and see if, they can't, see if you can't feel a distinct difference in your yoga practice when you really, really slow it down. I want to thank you all for joining me on this webinar, and I uh, hope to see you next month when we talk about meditation and uh, some of the benefits of, of meditation and, and how it works, and uh, introduce to you uh, a course that we've been working on for a long time called the Transformational Awareness Technique. It's six meditations for emotional freedom. So, So join us for that. You're not going to want to miss that one.